This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight we are recapping week nine of the NFL Slate 2021. But first, a few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. All right, let's get right into the review of this weekend's games. We are recording this on Monday, November 8th, 2021, during the middle of Monday Night Football between the Bears and Steelers. We will review that game on Thursday's pod as we're not doing a live reaction pod for you tonight. But what is the biggest impression you had from either the Thursday night game or anything that we saw yesterday? I think uh, you're probably going to talk about the same thing that I am. It's just, man, there are a lot of upsets this this week. Um, a very interesting week altogether news-wise for the NFL. I think the NFL is kind of starting to become NBA offseason you know, because there's always crazy stuff that happens in the NBA, but like the NFL from the play to um, just crazy off the field news, I they got to be having a field day. They got to be pretty happy. Well, we're not going to get into a lot of this because it's a fantasy show and I, I don't feel it's necessary to talk about a ton of it. But given where we were on the Thursday night, we recorded just about a week and a half ago. Green Bay beats Arizona on that basically final play of the game with the interception in the end zone. And Green Bay's riding high. Kansas City's coming off of a really crappy game on the Monday night that we recorded then after that. And you could have basically given anybody anything to say that they would pick Kansas City to beat Green Bay even at home last weekend. Flash forward to Wednesday, and now the biggest news story in the country, let alone in the sports world, is Aaron Rodgers' COVID vaccination status. And throw in all of the other major injuries or guys coming back from injuries and put it into this weird uh, blender that we got where I don't know if it was daylight savings time or what exactly was going on, but the last two weeks, as far as some of these major upsets, double-digit point or at least touchdown favorite uh, teams going down. It just, I'm not really sure what's going on, and I'm not really sure that this many upsets somehow makes it a better league, but it makes it exciting, I guess. I think that's just what it is. I mean, it's not that it's a better league. I just think that it's more exciting. I mean, I don't think... This is the first time in a long time where midway through the season, I don't really know who the favorite to win the Super Bowl is. You could tell me a whole list of them and I could be like, yeah, I get that argument. Um, this is the first time in a long time where it's it's not like that. And I think that that in itself is super exciting uh, for us as fans um, and just for the league in general. Well, Let's take it from this standpoint. Currently, as it sits right now before this game is done, the seventh seed in the NFC is the Atlanta Falcons. Last week going into the games, it was the Carolina Panthers before they got smashed by the Patriots at home. So 
it's really tough for me to sit and say that there are one particular favorite or not, because just to make the playoffs, it feels like what the equivalent of an eight seed coming out of the NBA is. They're just first round wildcard fodder and the better teams are going to end up evening out on the AFC side of things. You've got Kansas city, Las Vegas, the LA chargers and the Denver Broncos all within a half game of each other for the lead in their division. Two of them are five and four and the other two are five and three. I mean, you've got such ridiculous, I don't know if you would call it parody, but just even amounts of problems across all of these teams. I don't know if I could say there's any one team that if I had to say, I need you to go out and win a game that they're somehow going to win the game. Even against the Lions this year, some of those games have been really close. I mean, the Rams just pulled out a game two weeks ago at home against the Lions that they should have won by a lot more than they ended up doing. And then the next week, they give up a bunch of points in the fourth quarter and had to kind of like rescue it at the end versus the Texans. Then last night, they get smashed by the Titans, and they're supposed to be one of these teams that everybody thinks is the favorite. So it's really hard to predict which team is going to do what? I guess if I were to put my finger on any one team, I think the two most clearly put together or consistent teams, at least since week one, has been, in my mind, Green Bay. And I know some people accuse me from being a homer with that, but their defense has at least traveled well. And while their offense hasn't been consistent, they're never out of football games. And then the most talented and explosive team has been Tampa Bay, but you can throw all over the yard against them. And teams have been in games all year against them too. So it's tough for me to necessarily say that there's any one team that I could put my faith in, but if I had to pick one team, it would probably be one of those two, probably Tampa Bay, just from an elite level standpoint, I think they have more talent than just about anybody else. But other than that, I don't know if there is consistently one team that, I would trust to win a game. The Jaguars, Broncos, and Titans all won as several large dogs. We also had two teams that won without some of their best players. Notably, Derrick Henry was out for the Titans last night for the first game of several, at least. And the Cardinals played without their top two receivers and their quarterback. And a lot of fantasy players had possibly their worst weeks of the season this week. We've talked about this almost weekly, but is it fun that the NFL is this unpredictable from week to week? I mean, I think we just capped it up a little bit when what I was saying before. Um, yeah, I do. I do think it is uh, pretty entertaining. Sometimes you get to the games and you get to halftime and it's just like, oh my goodness, this thing is already over or whatnot. But every, for the most part, um, all the games have been pretty entertaining and I do like a nice little underdog, you know, that the Lions are going to get one, right? But, you know, uh, the top teams are still the top teams. Um, but there is a lot more, I think, parity between the teams that makes it a little bit more interesting. And I think Vegas has got to be loving it, too. I think the Lions have been too close too many times to go 0-17, but it is the Lions. I mean, they are notorious for having finished 0-16 before, or at least being the first team to finish 0-16. And there's really nothing about their quarterback situation that would give me confidence that they're going to pull out a game in the fourth quarter in a, a game they shouldn't or they should have. So I don't know. But 
the Jets being somehow better with their backup quarterbacks or the Titans suddenly becoming this elite defensive line. There are just these storylines that come out of left field and teams are, what's the way to mildly put this, night and day from week to week. Like who saw Dallas basically getting shut out for three quarters plus 30 to nothing at home against Denver who'd looked terrible against a a Washington team that we all thought was crap about two weeks ago. So it just flips back and forth. You'd like a little bit more consistency. And again, I think about the time every year that we start to see certain teams separate themselves is around that Thanksgiving area. So we have about two, three weeks before we're going to get into that territory where, yeah, some teams will really rise. The cream will separate itself from the rest of the crop. But I just don't know consistently. I think, yes, Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, maybe the Rams, depending on what you want to say. They have some top-end elite talent, but they're kind of thin on their depth. And Arizona, clearly are probably the cream of the NFC, but you've still got a couple of teams that are going to find their way in there. Really, realistically, do you want to be the four seed? Let's say the Dallas Cowboys, the last division winner and host the Rams the first weekend of the playoffs. I mean, that would kind of suck. Yeah, but it's better than not making the playoffs at all. You know what I mean? You're there to win. So a matchup is a matchup in any given Sunday. I believe you said that um, earlier this week or last week. So, yeah, it makes for entertaining football. I mean, that's that's my opinion. So on a different front completely, the Browns are going to be waving Odell Beckham Jr. tonight. But I think the notion was last season, and we couldn't necessarily put our finger on it or say definitively. But now that they were without him for this game and somehow seemed to find themselves again, are they just clearly better without Odell Beckham Jr. on the team? That's tough to say because, you know, he's been injured and he hasn't been, you know, with the team for a while and they still kind of been um, crappy, but it's for sure easier and better on a team when you kind of just get the anchor that's holding everybody down out of the building. So I think it's better for everybody. I don't think he was somebody that was holding them back immensely. They did real, really pull together this week and pull out a really nice, um, really nice day, but It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think it's better for Baker because I do think he's that type of quarterback where it's just like he doesn't want to deal with that shit and it really can kind of affect him. And I don't mean like a way where he's in his feelings and everything like that. I think it's just like I don't want to deal with this, get it out of my just stop annoying me type of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's better for everybody in the long run. I can't remember where exactly I saw this or where I could credit it to but I'm pretty sure it was on ESPN that there was an article basically highlighting the fact that Baker Mayfield lost a lot of confidence by playing with Odell Beckham Jr. Supposedly he made him nervous, I think was, was the key phrasing of that. And you could kind of see a little bit of the difference that he stepped into throws. He made longer throws that were more on target. Uh, There was just stuff that they were hitting within the rhythm of the play And given that they made their leap last year after Odell Beckham Jr. ended up being out for the season with his knee injury, and they've played their best football, I think week one when he he was not on the field, they played 
a really tough game against Kansas City. Now, say whatever you want about week one and what Kansas City was. That was a back-and-forth battle, and a lot of that was uh, good offense being played. But I think it's hard to deny in some cases that it seems the Browns are much more confident when he's not around the team. So I don't know where he's going to end up next. I'd be curious to find out since I still have him on my dynasty team, but it really does signal that maybe the Browns in a division, again, where there's a lot of even play or even records. I mean, I think, yeah, the Steelers are four and three. They're playing to be five and three. I think the Ravens are five and three and the Browns and the Bengals are both like five and four that again, you could have another of these divisions that's really up for grabs in a way that, it isn't in some of the other divisions in football. Before we move too much further, though, this is the midway point of the season. This is going to be the end of week nine. We only have 18 weeks. So just like to revisit our preseason picks. Division winners, you had Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Arizona, the Cowboys, the Chiefs, Colts, Browns, and Bills. Uh, how confident are you that you're going to hit about six of those? I feel pretty good, right? I mean, six out of what? How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ooh. I think the Bills are probably going to win that one. And I would probably argue that the Packers, Buccaneers, and Cowboys are probably going to get hit theirs too. You're I likely, the given that the Cardinals have the tiebreaker right now on the Rams, that that one will probably hit as well. I don't think the Colts are going to overtake the Titans. But the Browns and the Chiefs very well could pull out their divisions yet, too. So I, it's not the worst lineup in the world. I had the 49ers clearly not going to win their division. The Packers, Buccaneers, Cowboys, Browns, Bills, Chiefs, Titans. I would argue that Titans, Bills, Packers, Buccaneers, Cowboys, I feel pretty confident in. And Browns and Chiefs have a chance. It's really only my faith in the 49ers that have been super awful lately, losing to Colt McCoy yesterday, of all people. Uh, Super Bowl picks, you had the Packers over the Chiefs. I had the Chiefs over the 49ers. I don't think the Chiefs or the 49ers look all that great right now, and I don't think anybody would necessarily pick them. So if you had to pick again today, where do you think we're headed? Um, If I had to pick a Super Bowl today, I'd probably take the Packers and – the Titans, but the Bills are right there. I know they're kind of mulking through some stuff midway through the season, but no season for the most part is just all clear sailing. So um, I'd say Packers, Titans, and my second pick would be Packers, Bills. I'm going to go with an odd one, a team that I think is going to sneak up, but that I think if I were to pick whose quarterback I trust in most, it would probably be these two. I'm going to take Tampa Bay over Baltimore. Interesting. Lamar has clearly taken a notch up in his game this year. Yeah. And he's got, I think he was what, 0-6 before in double-digit deficits ever until this season. And I think this this year alone, he's got like three wins of comebacks more than 10 points. So including yesterday against the Vikings, which – Yay, we had fantasy points in that game, and yay, the Vikings lost. I will celebrate in that one very heavily. But, yeah, it's – it's. look at the AFC landscape. Is there another quarterback right now that you trust? Like, you would normally say Patrick Mahomes, but really? Eh. 
And Josh Allen's not played all that great for most of the year. He's been okay. The Bills' defense has actually been better uh, than any of the other ones. I would say that the Bills are probably a strong one. I still don't necessarily believe in the Titans. And Yeah, it's really weird, right? The Titans are a weird one. I did not see that coming. Well, especially after they got destroyed on opening day by the Cardinals at home, and then they lost to the Jets in overtime earlier in the season. You're like, who the hell are the Titans? But then they, their defensive line looks like they're the uh, purple people eaters from the 70s and basically get to Matt Stafford in a way nobody else has so far this season. All right, let's go to the biggest trends in fantasy then. After Dallas won with Cooper Rush, they never even got started against Denver at home yesterday. Is this a crack in the facade or an aberration? Um, I don't think it's anything to start freaking out about. But then again, I was never the one that was on the Dallas Cowboys for the Super Bowl bandwagon either. I think they're kind of right where I thought they would be. So for me, this is just the Cowboys at this point in time. I thought it was very surprising that they didn't run the football a lot more. And that's been kind of their identity is defense and running the football. But Denver really racked up a lot of rushing yards on them yesterday in a way that I hadn't seen anybody else really take it to them and really out physical them so far this year. So I think it's a little bit of an aberration, but the other thing I saw, and I didn't notice this yesterday, it was in only reading something today that Tyron Smith was out for this game. And it seems like every time that they have significant issues is when anytime he's not at full 100% health. He had been an absolute stud so far this year in a way that I thought uh, he wasn't capable of anymore, which you've notably pointed out on multiple occasions. But if he's got any creeping injuries, I mean, we've already talked about how much longer this season feels than some of the other ones we've had in the past. Just adding that one game, I think, psychologically has done something to seemingly extend the time frame on this season. If he cannot be at full strength for that team, I think they're going to be in some trouble. Yeah, I mean, he is the anchor. Um, That is the best, still, I believe, is the best part of that entire team. And the one thing that the Cowboys really did right was they stacked that offensive line. And he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So when you don't have somebody like like that anchoring something so important to what you're trying to do, yeah, absolutely. I can see that. I'd love to see the deep numbers on something like that, though. Yeah, I don't have them, though. I, I can't show them to you. <laughs> uh, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes had less combined points this week than the Jets' third-string quarterback on Thursday Night Football. What a world we're living in. Can we that reasonably crazy. expect big points anymore from either of these offenses? Dude, I don't. It's so hard not to believe in them, though, right? You know, that's kind of where I'm at. It's still the name. And I just, I don't doubt what these guys can do. That being said, I do think people have kind of figured out the Chiefs offense in a way. Um, you know, you put, you, you be physical with them at the line of scrimmage with every single one of them, especially Travis Kelsey, and you have two high safeties. So you can't like Tyreek Hill get behind you. And you really make Patrick Mahomes be patient. And I don't think he has that in him. He wants to hit the big play. He wants to go running down the field um, after a huge play, listening to that crowd go. I, so for that reason, I have more faith in Josh Allen kind of figuring it out. But 
Stefan Diggs is nowhere near where he was last year. And I think that's a huge part of the issue of what's going on in Buffalo. You got to find a way to get that dude the football. Let's take the chiefs part of it first. I still think Travis Kelsey is the number one tight end in fantasy, just from a volume and consistency level. I think it's pretty obvious. He is the number one Tyreek Hill has had at least three, if not four games of 10 plus catches this season so far. And he regularly gets at least double digit targets per game. So his volume is high enough that I still think he's valuable. Is he going to hit the huge shots for you every game? Probably not, but enough that his volume will keep his floor high enough that he's at least a valuable starter. Patrick Mahomes right now has not finished inside the top, I think 10 at quarterback in at least three or four weeks. And I'm really starting to be concerned that he's not a long-term viable fantasy quarterback. Like this would be the time to absolutely buy low on him and dynasty. If somebody's really panicking on you, because I haven't seen somebody decline this badly since probably you remember Kurt Warner after they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, he just kind of fell off a cliff and we got Mark Bulger for a while. I mean, what that's, a name that's, drop. That's awesome. <laughs> like that's the kind of levels we're talking about. Or for the fact of uh, after Joe Flacco had that huge Super Bowl run, he just kind of fell off a cliff. Yeah. But, I mean, but we've seen this as Packer fans. We saw this for a little bit with Aaron Rodgers too, though. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. So, it's just it's the turnovers with Patrick Mahomes too, and just the dumb plays that that he's been responsible for. And I I keep going back to it. I just think that he is kind of in this little world where, as he should feel, where it's kind of his world, and the game should really be coming easier to him than it is. And he doesn't want to be patient. He wants to make the big plays because that's what that offense is. They're a big play offense. So to ask him to be patient all game long and to dink and dunk down the field, I think that's asking a lot of him to do, not because he can't, because he doesn't want to. So let's take the Bills side of the equation then. Josh Allen has been a valuable quarterback for, I think, four out of the last five weeks or something like that. He's at least been inside the top 10 of quarterbacks overall. And I think three out of those uh, five, he's been inside the top five. And part of that has to do with his rushing value. He's got rushing touchdowns. He's also one of their uh, most high volume rushers in that offense. And especially with, I think I saw Zach Moss is going to be down for at least a few weeks that he probably will continue to be their most valuable rusher in that offense. The difference is, is, I've seen this now against Buffalo. I've seen it against Kansas City. I've seen it against Arizona. This cover two shell that's kind of taking the league by storm at the moment has really stifled a lot of offenses this year. I go back to comments that Aaron Rodgers made after week one against the Saints, how they just couldn't seem to get any sort of rhythm and that they assumed that the Saints were going to come out in a one high safety look like they had most of last season. And they came out in this cover two shell And it completely threw off their entire offense. And right now, everybody has gotten the book. The last two weeks, the Buffalo Bills have played the Jaguars and the Dolphins, two defenses that really has given up a lot of yards and points this this season. And they've been stymied because they're playing this conservative two-shell. You've got to either run the football or dink and dunk it up the field. And I don't think that unless you're Alex Smith, that works for most of these quarterbacks after the years that they had last season. So it does concern me that nobody's figured out how to 
beat this cover two. just we're going to take away all the deep shots away from you and nobody's playing the single high like they used to be to try and stop the run. So given that we had such volatility at wide receiver and quarterback yesterday and some of the best players were all at running back, it says to me, run the damn ball. Yeah, like, seriously, I mean, run the damn ball. To go back, I mean, people, you know how to beat. You know how to beat a cover two. I mean, it's you said it yourself. You got to run the ball or you got to dink it and dunk. You got to find the windows. You can hit, you know, posts on the inside. But then that means you got to have a quarterback that can find the window and thread that needle as well. But they don't want to. That's the issue. These are NFL great minds, right? NFL geniuses and all that other stuff where I'm smarter than you and my offense is going to, it's an ego thing, man. Like no one wants to do that, to dink and dunk the ball all the way down the field. You know, that's just not a sexy way to play football. So that's where we're at right now. And I credit defenses for going to it and being like, all right, you know what? This is the game plan. This is the blueprint to beat us now executed if you're patient enough to do it. I just don't think most teams are patient enough to do it. No, and especially with how much cover three and safety in the box had been the norm for most defenses since essentially the league of boom a few years ago. I really do think that uh, offenses are going to have to make a big adjustment. And it's the reason why Dallas has been running the football more, why you've seen more running of the football out of teams like Tampa Bay. I don't know why green Bay didn't run the ball more yesterday, just personally, but you're going to have to be physical. And if they're going to take the extra safety out of the box, play a light box, run the football. Like it's not complicated. After coming back against the Vikings with 41 pass attempts, Ken Lamar Jackson sustained three valuable pass catching targets. This was a question we had for the last couple of weeks. Let me just give you a few stats here from yesterday's game. Hollywood Brown, nine catches, 116 yards on 12 targets. Rashad Bateman, five catches, 52 yards on eight targets. And Mark Andrews, 10 targets, five catches for 44 yards in that game. You tell me, is that sustaining three valuable targets? I think that's sustaining three pretty decent targets. I mean, you'd like to see a little bit more out of Bateman. Um, but other than that, I think that's sustaining pretty, three decent targets. But I don't think the Ravens want to play like this. I don't think they want to have Lamar Jackson throw the ball 41 times. Uh, they like running the football. That's what works for them. Um, so I think it can be done. I just don't know how often it will be done. I think that what we've seen, and this is the same comment I made over the weekend, I, he still ended up running for 120 yards in this game. But I said that they were going to have to beat the Vikings through the air because they're just inefficient running the football right now. When you've got three former like all pro running backs that you signed off the street in order to come in and try and help your football team. I think it was Devonte Freeman got in the end zone. Le'Veon Bell got in the end zone. I mean, you're, it's just a cast off of characters that we haven't heard from in several years. I just think that their weapons are more explosive in the passing game. And they're also spotting teams like 20 points a game at least. So they're going to have to throw the football in order to be effective to me, that says, at least for the rest of the season, if you're in a redraft scenario, that, yeah, maybe Hollywood Brown is the most bankable, and then probably Mark Andrews, given the volatility at tight end right now. But 
I still think that there are enough targets to go around because they're going to have to throw the football 35 to 40 times a game in most of these in order to keep up with teams that are scoring on their defense. So Mike Williams has had less than seven points in four out of the last five weeks, excluding the bye. So throw that in, that's five of six weeks. And Keenan Allen just had 13 targets for 12 catches and 104 yards yesterday. Are we ready to re-examine the Chargers passing targets yet? Um, as somebody that was very happy with what Mike Williams was doing for his dynasty team, this was actually a thought that I had, um, yesterday really. So great question by you. Um, so yes, the answer for me is yes, I am ready to re-examine how the Chargers are kind of doing things. Um, I do think the last month hasn't really been great for the Chargers though, either, you know, they've played some really poor football, so I don't really know if we know exactly who the chargers are yet, I don't think I do. So it'll be interesting to see depending on what targets or what targets, what weapons I kind of have on my team. Mike Williams is kind of sitting in that, not really a must start and going to for sure be in my lineup every week type of guy. I think it's matchup dependent right now. One of the reasons that they ended up winning the football game is that teams have figured out you have to control the middle of the field against the Philadelphia Eagles. There's a reason we haven't gotten to the top tens yet, but three different chargers tight ends yesterday finish inside the top 10. I think that at this point, when you're doing your dart throw of the week for what's your underrated tight end, uh, you just look at who the Eagles are playing because that was the breakout game on Monday night football. If you remember for Dalton Schultz and he started coming forth. So For me, this is a byproduct of the game situation yesterday. That's why we got a little bit of a burst on Keenan Allen. Not necessarily that that's going to be indicative of how they're going to go forward. Yet, I still think that there is room for Mike Williams to be a big target in this offense. It just seems to be that, and I can't remember where I read this either, but since that Browns game that was so electric that got everybody going, he's turned back into the old form of Mike Williams, that it was a vertical threat. Mike Williams, that's how they're using him instead of what they had been doing, which was more of the intermediate, the shorter routes, trying to get him the football as kind of the X receiver in that offense. And by that standard, if he's just running deep routes, then of course, he's just not going to see the same level of targets or the volume of catches that he had been up to this point. I think the Chargers had something and somehow have gone away from it. So until they start going back to it, I'm just not confident in starting him. But he does have the potential, obviously, for being a big player. And he's oddly stayed healthy so far this season, at least from what I can tell. So you have to feel that at some point he's coming due for another game. Yeah, and that big game will happen and he'll be sitting on my bench and it'll cost me, but whatever. And I'll be (laughs) laughing. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to the top tens of this last week. Number one at quarterback, we had Justin Herbert, two, Lamar Jackson, three, Matt Ryan coming back from the dead, four, Josh Johnson, who I think was on the street no more than like four weeks ago for the Jets, Teddy Bridgewater, yes, that Teddy Bridgewater, number five, Carson Wentz, six, Kirk Cousins, seven, Jimmy Garoppolo, eight, Baker Mayfield, nine, and Colt McCoy, 10. Other than the top two, Have you ever seen such a weird list of fantasy finishing quarterbacks? I mean, it goes with the weird week in the NFL that we had. So, yeah, it seems on par for me. Colt McCoy, though, that's that's awesome. (laughs) 
For running backs, the number one finisher this week, James Conner. We'll get to him again in a second. Jonathan Taylor, two. Nick Chubb, three. Joe Mixon, four. Cordero Patterson, five. Naheem Hines, six. Alvin Kamara, seven. Delvin Cook, eight. Melvin Gordon, the third, nine. And uh, Devontae Freeman, yes, that Devontae Freeman, 10. So if you exclude Devontae Freeman and Naheem Hines, which are kind of the aberrations, these are a lot of guys that were selected early on in drafts, probably in the top five rounds. Again, it was a kind of a running back day. Yeah, it's, I mean, was Patterson really taken in? I mean, I, oh, guess. I guess not, but he's been kind of a stud this year. And I guess yeah. uh, Connor was probably taken later than the fifth round, later. but still like uh, Taylor, Chubb, Mixon, Kamara, Dalvin. I don't think any of those guys were taken past the second round. No, for sure not. Um, that's where you that's where you get your money right there. It's the running backs. Absolutely. And good for James Conner just being good this year again, like staving off of his injury issues. And he kind of is on that one year prove it deal. I think he's gotten himself in line for some decent money next year. Wide receiver. We had the number one for this week. Elijah Moore, surprisingly enough, a rookie. Also another rookie, Devontae Smith at two. Cordero Patterson finishes the third best wide receiver of the week, although I'm pretty sure everybody started him at running back. Tim Patrick, four. Keenan Allen, five. Olamide Zacchaeus, six. Hollywood Brown, seven. Donovan Peoples-Jones, eight. Justin Jefferson, nine. And Malik Turner, a guy I'd never heard of for Dallas, catches two touchdowns, finishes as number 10 at the wide receiver position for the week. A guy no one had on their team nor started. And there's two people on here that I had originally like set in my lineup and then didn't leave them in, in Tim Patrick and Donovan Peoples Jones, but fantasy giveth fantasy taketh. Yeah. And you still have a chance to win your game tonight though. So, I mean, that's a lot better than most people can say tight end for this weekend. We have three mainstays at the top, the elite of the elite. And then it's just a weird list after that. George Kittle finishes the number one tight end in fantasy the week coming off of the IR. Travis Kelsey at two, Darren Waller at three. Then Steven Anderson, a guy I didn't even know was on the Chargers at four. Donald Parham Jr., four, or excuse me, five. Evan Ingram, yes, that Evan Ingram, uh, with that weird touchdown catch looking like the Evan Ingram from his rookie season at seven. Jeff Swaim, eight. Ryan Griffin of the Jets, nine, excuse me, eight, Hunter Henry, nine, Jared Cook, 10. Like, is that one of the weirdest collections of tight ends we've basically gotten? And half of it was Jeff Swain got in the end zone. Evan Ingram got in the end zone. Steven Anderson got in the end zone. Parham in the end zone. Jared Cook in the end zone. Hunter Henry in the end zone. You see a theme? I always um, come to our tight end section here of top tens to learn who new players are because every single week you name some of these people and I have no idea who the hell they are. I mean, it's just freaking weird. I mean, how do you even play di- or uh, daily fantasy and pick a tight end? Do you, I, I would honestly invest in Travis Kelsey or George Kittle and just pay the extra money and downgrade the rest of my team by comparison. Because I think you'd get so much better of an, a matchup advantage. Oh, yeah. All right, the good, the bad, and the ugly for the week. For me, the good, the Titans' defensive line. 
They absolutely dominated that game, caused two turnovers that turned into 14 easy points in, I think, three plays, and completely flipped that game on its head. I thought they were absolutely outstanding last night. They are my good of the week. What is yours? Uh, my good is actually James Conner, um, for a lot of reasons, what you said. Somebody for me, too, that I kind of wrote off, I thought he was going to have kind of a terrible year playing backup role and even earlier this year, but getting a lot of goal line work. So you kind of are like banking on if he would get a touchdown or not. But really coming out this past week, I agree with you earning a job this next year and good for him. He's kind of been one of those fighters if everyone knows his story his whole life. So it's nice to see that type of stuff happen to hardworking people like that. My bad for the week is not one that I'm upset about. The Vikings blowing another late lead. Come on, Vikings. I mean, seriously, are you just going to treat me every single week? What's your bad? <laughs> My bad is Matt LaFleur's play calling. Yeah. Um, the Packers ran the ball 20 times against one of the worst defenses against the run in the entire NFL. A.J. Dillon was averaging over five yards a carry. I don't know what you're doing out there. Matt LaFleur and his play calling. How many empty sets did they run yesterday with Jordan Love in a play yeah. action offense? Hey. They had a chance. They had plenty of chances to win that game. Yeah, I know. And I, I know everybody's calling for Aaron to be back next week. I don't know if it's necessarily guaranteed he's going to be. And Seattle is going to be very confident getting Russell Wilson back. That game kind of looks a little bit dangerous to me, if you ask me. All right, let's go to the ugly Buffalo and the KC offenses are my ugly. We've already talked about this ad nauseum. I really don't need to say much else, but when uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat you nine to six, your offense did not have a good day. What is your ugly of the week? My ugly of the week is my decision-making for my fantasy team. Um, these last couple of weeks, I have, I have made some pretty awful decisions that have cost me huge. Um, so I'm going to throw myself on this list. Um, I got to do better. Got to do better. You've had a lot of injuries and bye weeks too that you're navigating. So it's not like when you I, can do I know, it and but forget it. You're normal. I know, go-to. but. <laughs> And that's where that's what I need because I cannot sit there and look at a roster and be like, you know what? Because I'll second guess myself. I had Tim Patrick in my lineup. I even had Donovan Peoples Jones in my lineup. And instead I went out and I picked up, I don't even know who the fuck I picked up, but it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. So before we get to something or nothing, then how antsy are you? Like, what's your panic level on your team right now? And how many of your guys are you looking to actively (laughs) trade? Because I know you get antsy when your team's playing well, let alone, what is this going to be potentially three out of four weeks that you've lost? Yeah, it's not been a good month for me, but you're right. I had that really huge bye week. I had that, oh, that was a terrible hit by Goodwin. Um, Yeah, but that was the week you won because you played me. I know, but just like injuries (laughs) and stuff like that. um, No, I'm really not panicking. I am looking to um, add a little bit before our our our. Oh, huge hit on Justin Fields out of bounds. Um, add something before our trade deadline. But no, I'm I feel pretty good. There's really not too much more I can do. You know, I'm I'm kind of set. So we'll see. I got a couple of tricks up my sleeves, so we'll see what I can do. Your aces in the hole, so to say. I got some ideas. All right. Something <laughs> or nothing. First one up, 
Christian McCaffrey came back this weekend, 50 yards on the ground and in the air, something or nothing. Um, I believe that's something. If he's healthy, he is really kind of right now on that offense, the lone bright spot. And I don't think they want Sam Darnold throwing the ball too much further down the field than where Christian McCaffrey typically is at. Uh, remember when we were talking about earlier in the year too, is Sam Darnold was good and how happy we were he was out in New York, at least I was. Man, it it got dark in Carolina very, very quickly. Yeah, but you can see how much of a game wrecker he is. He had, I think, at least 12, if not 13 fantasy points in this game, simply on the back of 18 touches. If he gets his normal 25 to 30 touches in a game, he can be an absolute wrecker, and they could not run the football yesterday. So if they get into a decent matchup where he can get his full complement of workload, I see nothing to say that Christian McCaffrey isn't going to be Christian McCaffrey again. This is absolutely something for me. Absolutely. Brandon Ayuk. Six catches, 89 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. George Kittle, six catches, 101 yards on a touchdown and eight targets. Something or nothing. Kittle, I mean, yeah, for Kittle, that's something. If he's healthy, um, we all know that he's one of the best tight ends in this league has to offer. With Brandon Ayuk, his team and his coaches have challenged him to kind of get back to where he was this last year. He answered the challenge finally after a couple weeks this past week. I want to see if he does it again because that offense is really looking for somebody to kind of take, take or help Debo take control. So uh, I'm going to go with Brandon Ayuk as I'm going to wait, but I think it could be a little bit of something, but George kill. We know, we know that's something. They were not able to run the football against a Arizona defense. that gave up a lot of yards against green Bay the week before. And Debo is hurt right now, so they needed somebody to step into the void and create where he was not able to be that effective, especially because even though he was hurt going into the Bears game, apparently he uh, had some more of a setback in his calf injury and is playing through it right now, but he's not where he was. So clearly the 49ers with their defense and how bad it is right now, they're going to need somebody to step up and be part of that. And you already got a shout out the week before against um, the Bears with Brandon Ayuk from Kyle Shanahan. So you knew that it was going to be on the radar. He was going to be highly targeted. You like him getting into the end zone and you like that he has been a value added to what they have going forward. At least the last two weeks, I haven't seen like an elite level production or what Debo was doing earlier in the year, but can he at least sustain some level of value going forward? I think absolutely. I think this is definitely something, and you can see the smile on my face because I waited on this. Let's keep it moving here. James Conner, 173 total yards and three touchdowns with Chase Edmonds out of the game after one play, something or nothing. Hey, man, if he's the lead back, he can handle the workload, so that's most definitely something. But with Chase Edmonds healthy, I do believe they enjoy the two running back committee thing in Arizona. So, as long as Edmonds is out, most definitely something uh, with Edmonds back in James Conner kind of goes back to that goal line bruiser where you're looking for touchdowns. Kenyon Drake was sustained last year by basically being the goal line back for this team. James Conner now has 11 touchdowns on the season, more than anybody else in the NFL, more than King Henry did, although he probably would have added to it last night. And even Cooper cup who has 10 touchdowns receiving. So his touchdown value is going to keep his floor high because he's going to be one of the most utilized guys near the goal line. 
I think for sure, if Chase Edmonds was there, he's going to be the guy that's going to take away stuff in between the 20s. But we know James Conner is going to be their finisher. If Chase Edmonds is out for an extended period of time, we saw flashes of the James Conner that came in and basically won you your league that one year. So I think this is definitely something. I don't know how long it'll be sustained because the Cardinals have specifically gone away from giving James Conner full workloads due to his previous injury history. But if he is going to get this volume of work, who's to say that he can't pull off something like this on a regular basis? Well, not maybe 40 points in fantasy value, but at least, you know, 20 points with a couple of touchdowns. I think that's within reach. Cordero Patterson, six catches for 126 yards in the first full game with Kelvin Ridley going to be off for, I'm not sure, not basically not with the team, even though he's missed a couple of games. Is this something or nothing that this would be the person who steps up into the void with Kelvin Ridley being gone? I think it's kind of crazy that he um, received this much receiving work. When I think of Cordero Patterson, I don't really think of a wide receiver. But Atlanta, they've somehow figured out a way to make it work, like make it work like a lot of other teams wished that it would work with Cordero Patterson. I think a lot of teams were happy what they got out of him, but this is like a dream what he's doing right now. So, yeah, I guess he keeps proving me wrong. So I guess I should jump on his bandwagon. So I'm going to go with something. My dad and I had this disagreement last week because I didn't think Patterson was necessarily going to get a boost in targets with Ridley being out. And you would have thought against the Saints defense that Patterson was not in a good enough matchup that he would perform like this. So he really had to do it through the air because nobody was running the football for the Falcons yesterday. And they have a tough time running normally against crappy defenses, let alone the Saints' elite rushing defense. But somehow he pulled this out of his bag, including I think it was like a 50-yard play down the sideline that basically put them in range to win the football game at the end. So he's doing it in a multitude of ways. You love backs that are going to be given credit for their receiving ability. And he's clearly been a guy that can play multiple positions. He can split out wide. They put him on the field at the same time as Mike Davis. They're doing a whole lot of mix and match with how he's performing. I think that he's just going to continue to get valuable touches on this offense. And outside of maybe Kyle Pitts, he's the only startable Falcon at this point. And I think he's almost a lineup lock. Darren Waller, seven catches, 92 yards on 11 targets, something or nothing that he has re-entered the tight end elite conversation. Yeah, right. This has been quite the up and down year for Darren Waller. I don't know, more turmoil in Las Vegas as well. That locker room has got to be a little weird. So for me, I guess I just got to see it again. Just not even the off the field stuff, just with the inconsistency that he's had this year. That being said, we know what the tight end market is. So if you have him, you know you're starting him every single week anyway. So you're hopeful that it's something. But for me, I'm going to wait and see. I think that the Raiders can be a good team, but they have so many distractions going on with everything in that team and that offense and all the other stuff. They've released another first-round pick today. And I will tell you this. If I select any Raiders first-round pick ever in a dynasty draft, I give you authorization to come and jackboot me in the nuts because it'll be just as stupid. I mean, come on. Really? Every first round pick of theirs somehow, except maybe with the exception of Khalil Mack, has just been 
terrible or gotten in trouble or I just, I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're doing. The only other first round pick that has worked out for the Raiders in recent memory I can even think of is Sebastian Janikowski. I'm just done with that. But yes, Darren Waller, if he gets that level of target volume, and especially with Henry Ruggs being out, to put it kindly, I I think that he has to sustain that level of volume, but it could be there. And we know that the Raiders are going to have to throw the ball a lot. So again, if he gets that level of volume, like he did in week one, gotten this week, then yes, he will return to that. But there is something to be said that, what is he like 31 at this point? 30, 31. I'm kind of worried at a certain point that he may drop off the cliff here in the next, I don't know, six months to a year of fantasy value, even though Travis Kelsey has proven that wrong so far. Javante Williams, 17 carries for 111 yards versus Dallas this weekend, something or nothing. Oh, most definitely. It's something this kid is an outstanding talent. I'm pretty, pretty positive how high I was on, on record here on this show in the past somebody too that can just break tackles like I think he's got more yards after contact than some football teams have in yards all year long but so it's just been he has been very incredible I'm surprised and not surprised at the same time that he doesn't have complete control of this backfield because of how well you know um, Melvin Gordon has been playing so you got to feed him as well but absolutely a great young talent and if you got him you got to be very happy for the future that you have I think he was the number 11 finisher at running back for the week and him getting over a hundred yards is actually a impressive feat. I think what is it? Matthew Barry from ESPN keeps comparing him to be this year's cam Akers, but Melvin Gordon's played too well for that probably to happen in the same way that it did for the Rams last year. I think Javante Williams will get the lead back touches next season, but Melvin Gordon has been able to split the carries and been effective. I think he's another one with James Conner that, he may not be able to be the lead feature back, but he would have been a better option this year than probably uh, anything Atlanta did with Mike Davis. Like that would be a perfect offense for him to come in and be able to supplement and be capable of uh, helping buoy. So he's probably earned himself a decent amount of uh, money here in the off season as well. I just think this is absolutely something because this is a player we both have liked and thought had the possibility if he ever got the amount of carries he needed and 17 carries is good, but we also saw that Dallas gives up enough on the run and you can out physical them, uh, especially against their defense. Cortland Sutton, one catch, nine yards, two targets. This is now the third week this season where Jerry Judy has been active and Cortland Sutton gets next to nothing. Is he even startable at this point? Nah, he's not startable. You got to see something for sure. And he's not showing it. We know the talent is there. I think you and I are pretty well on the same page with how talented we think this guy is as a wide receiver. Somebody that just kind of has been riddled with injuries. And then Teddy Bridgewater comes to town and we all know how I kind of feel as him as a quarterback affecting my favorite wide receivers. So I think he personally, he has a personal vendetta out against me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's just, it's frustrating. So Hopefully the greener, greener pastures will come, but for right now, Cortland Sutton is somebody that you just kind of hang on to and, and hope that better days are ahead. Well, I think that better days will be ahead next season when they get Aaron Rodgers, because that seems clear that that's the destination he's going to end up in. So I think holding on to that value is going to be necessary, but right now 
And I can't believe I didn't think of this sooner, but Teddy Bridgewater is the black Alex Smith. <laughs> is he not? Elaborate. He checks down. Yeah. He throws to the slot. He will toss a deep ball occasionally, but he's not effective down the field or more than 10 yards in front of him. And we saw when he played with Michael Thomas and they basically set the record for receptions. Everything Michael Thomas did was within five to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He's the black Alex Smith. Anyway, that's not the point. I, I think spot on spot on analysis though. <laughs> like, hashtag absolutely analysis. right. Yeah. <laughs> but l- let me put it to you this way. I would have a decision next week and I'm not tanking per se, but I'm also not necessarily going to be upset if I lose, given the state of my team. I think I would seriously have to give consideration to starting Brandon Ayuk over Cortland Sutton next weekend. What say you? No, I'm, absolutely. You can't just keep, you know, it's like me wanting to start Allen Robinson. You know what I mean? I know how good he is, but he hasn't given me anything. There's no reason why I would start him. And even if he does have an amazing game tonight and he's sitting on my bench, I can sleep at night knowing I would have been out of my mind to start him. I'm not some damn genius. I can tell the future. That's the only way that I was stuck him into my line. Well, I will also say that Cortland Sutton's biggest games this season he's had while he's on my bench. So, you know, it is what it is. Devontae Smith, five catches, 116 yards, a touchdown and six targets, something or nothing. We've, we've all been super high on Devontae Smith as a prospect coming out. I think he's really kind of starting to figure out the NFL game. I think it is something he did a lot with a little. I think they got to kind of, he's the type of guy that you got to feed targets to. I think it's something, I think they just need to find a way to get him the ball more, more and more. I think it's something that he scored a touchdown for the first time since week one, but it's still. <sighs> given that they invested first round picks in both Devonte Smith and Jalen Rager, and they clearly had deve- or invested a high pick in Dallas Goddard that they really don't throw the football that much. There's still a lot of designed runs for Jalen hurts. And if he's going to be the long-term quarterback, I do think that hurts the potential dynasty value of both of those wide receivers, let alone Goddard as the tight end. I don't see hurts somehow turning into Lamar Jackson 2.0 uh, Jalen Hurts would be a valuable starter as long as he's the quarterback just due to his rushing floor, but I just don't see this Eagles receiving game taking off anytime soon. Elijah Moore, seven catches, 84 yards, two touchdowns on eight targets, something or nothing. In New York, of all places, I'm surprised this took so long. Very talented guy, not a lot of mouths. I think that should be fed on that offense in New York. So I think it's something rookie that you want to get involved in the offense. You want to have him figure out what this NFL world is like. So yeah, absolutely. It's something I feel like this is, this is perfect too. You know, eight to 10 targets is a really good range for him a week to week. He's had now two consecutive decent games and this was really his breakout because of the two touchdowns. And yes, the jets were playing from behind the whole game. The Colts don't have a great passing defense, But this is another situation where you're just kind of waiting on the rookie to kind of come into his own. You want to see the connection with what we would assume to be his long-term tight end, or excuse me, long-term quarterback partnership with Zach Wilson eventually when he comes back instead of having to rely on, what is it, Josh Johnson or 
James Johnson, Josh Jackson, whatever the, the name of the third string quarterback that was literally on the street a few weeks ago, or Mike White. I just want to see it with the more regular starters, but we know that the talent is there. Ben was very high on this guy, and it's good to see him eventually perform in kind of a showcase primetime game. I don't know if this is his true coming out party quite yet, although finishing his wide receiver one in fantasy He's at least worth a pickup and stash if he's available in your league. I don't have a great list of pickup stashes, streams, or drops this week, unfortunately, because at this point in the season, I think you're picking up anybody with a, a pulse for the bye weeks that are still ahead or haven't been gotten to quite yet. There are several teams with some very late bye weeks in the season or some potential injuries. But the other thing is, is I don't know if you have necessarily space on your team. If you've got some of your guys coming back from injury, we already had George Kittle come back this week. We had Christian McCaffrey come back this week. I just also think that you should know by now what the dead weight is on your team. There are some guys that clearly, if you just pick them up for a bye week probably don't have stash value just generally. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I can necessarily give you advice week to week right now on where to improve your football team. I would just say stash anybody that seems to have any remote possibility of upside and value and play your guys. That's about it where we're at in the season right now, especially what is it? We have five weeks left before the playoffs. I think that's about right. Week 14. Yeah, sound, something like that. Sounds about right. Yeah. So any other remaining thoughts for the week? No, man. Sounds good. Hoping to squeak out, hoping to squeak out this win tonight. <laughs> all right. Well, then, thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We appreciate you. We will be back again later this week. But until then. Until then, have a good week, everyone. We'll see you later. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at DynastyDownload10 at gmail.com. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at DYDownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.